Are you blessed? Amen. God's showing up and showing out, isn't he? Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I feel like I'm far away from you. I'm going to move up a little bit. Praise God. Benny Swally Tunnel. Benny Swally Tunnel. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory. Whew. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. <laughs> you know who else I love? I love our little drummer. Our little drummer, uh, something, David. Have y'all even noticed? We had this little drummer, incredible drummer. He's like this tall. There he is back there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the hand of God that is on that young man's life right there? That's my buddy. He's my little friend now. Yeah, I know God's going to has big plans for him. Wow, he's already playing drums in conferences. In conferences. In international conferences. What is going to happen to him? Wow. Billy Swally to hell. You know, I guess my heart goes out. You know, I work with children in Haiti. And um, let me just pray. I'm going to pray first. Father, we give this afternoon to you. I know we've been praying, but Father, I just want to dedicate it to you. I want to dedicate every word that is spoken to you. I want your word to come forth. I want you to encourage every heart. I want you to encourage every mind. I want you to encourage every spirit. Father, we cast down the spirit of discouragement. In the mighty name of Jesus, we cast down that spirit of discouragement and disillusionment in Jesus' name. And we, Father, we pray that your will would be done, your manifestation would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you a little bit of my testimony. But how many of you have ever been through, through valleys in your life, the low points in your life? Many. <laughs> right. There are many valleys in our life, right? Wouldn't it be great if we could stay on the mountaintop in the glory of God, hallelujah, seeing the miracles of God manifest? We just walk out our door, people are healed. We walk out our door, people are delivered. Wouldn't that be great? But we end up walking out our door and facing life, right? That's the reality, facing life, facing rejection, facing discouragement. Facing misunderstanding, people misunderstanding you, you misunderstanding people, right? So many valleys, wilderness, dry, God, where are you? What happened? Where'd you go? (laughs) Right? Not knowing what to do, wanting to be recognized. Nobody recognizes you. I had a word yesterday. Somebody in here. And the word was, you were saying to God 
God, nobody knows me, nobody sees me. Somebody here, you were crying that in your heart, you were saying that in your heart. God, I have things probably inside of me, but nobody knows me, nobody sees me. And God said, I see you. It doesn't matter that man sees you. I see you. So whoever that is for, take that. Know you're right where you're supposed to be. You are in the hand of God. You're in the path of God. You're right where you're supposed to be. Be encouraged. God sees you. Okay? So I want to tell you a bit of my testimony. When I went to Haiti, I may have shared this last year, I don't remember. But when I went to Haiti, I went to teach in the Bible college to train up pastors and leaders, mighty men and women of God in the nation of Haiti. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And I love, I love teaching. I love preaching. I love teaching. But as I would be going in to teach my class, I would be tripping over street kids in the street telling me they were hungry. And they would say, and that means I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And they'd lift up their t-shirts and show me their little extended bellies. And I'd look at them and I'd say, well, it's not right that you're hungry. Let's feed you. Somebody would be walking by selling eggs, selling chips. I just buy whatever. Here, have something to eat. They go running back in the street, wiping down cars. And every day, day in and day out, I'd be tripping over these kids. And they'd smile. Big, beautiful smiles. I fell in love with these kids. But I tell you what, how that happened is one day I'm sitting there and they're telling me they're hungry. And it was like the Lord spoke to me. You know, it was like God wants to give us what we want, right? He wants to give us what we want. He puts desires in us and then he wants to give us what we want. So I said to them, what do you want to eat? Doree, doree, that's beans and rice. I said, I don't know where to buy you beans and rice. They grabbed me by the arm, pulled me down the street. <laughs> they knew exactly where to get the beans and rice, <laughs> okay? As they were pulling me down the street, it was as if God reached down from heaven, opened up my chest, put his heart on the inside of me for these kids. He closed me back up. And from that moment, I was head over heels in love with these kids. I felt towards them the way God felt towards them. I loved them the way God loved them. It was an instant transformation. I could not do enough for them. I wanted to feed them. I wanted to put them in school. I wanted them to have a house. I wanted them to, to be taken care of. I wanted them to have clothes. I wanted their needs met. God put his love in me for them. Years later, these kids are now grown up. That was my first generation kids. That's what I call them. 
my first generation kids. They have grown up and now many of them are working with me in the ministry. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's powerful. And this is what I want to tell you. Uh, last year, some of my kids came to me and they said, Mom, we want to go to Plaisance because they weren't from Port-au-Prince. I'm in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. That's the capital of Haiti in the big city. They were from the countryside way up north where they don't have schools, they don't have churches, they have nothing, nothing, nothing. No running water, no electricity, nothing. No toilets, nothing. You I mean, you understand? Okay, nothing. <laughs> so I, uh, they came to me and they said, we want to go back and uh, do, a, do a crusade for our families back in Plaisance because they all came from the same area. And I said, okay. And so I gave them big bags of beans and rice and we sent them out. Well, when they got there, the people, you would have thought the president of Haiti was coming to this village. They welcomed them like royalty. They were so excited to see them come. And they were so receptive. And like 20 of them got saved just, you know, right then. When they first started their like first, second meeting, they just started coming to the Lord. Well, you know, things happened and we decided we, could, we have to plan a church. We have to plan a church in Plaisance. So we, you know, the people, we just, uh, we sent some money out there. The, the, there was like nine or 12 of my kids getting together like a delegation, putting their money together and sending it to their family to build a church. So they're cutting down trees. They're doing it themselves. They're building a church. We had a witch doctor helping to build the church. The witch doctor was cutting the wood, and he cut his thumb really badly. I've seen the scar. I know it's true. <laughs> he cut his thumb really badly, and he was bleeding. And they said, oh, man, you have to stop. You have to go find a clinic. We can't take care of that here. He said, what? Stop? He said, Jesus gave all of his blood. Jesus shed his blood. How can I stop when I have a little bit of blood when Jesus gave it all? That was a witch doctor. Wow. Benny Swally Tanel. They built the church. You know what happened? The first meeting, the church was too small. It was too small. We just bought more land to build a bigger church. We, we, it's, it's packed, literally. People up against the wall, standing up. It's standing room only. They're pressed up against the wall. Is packed to the hilt. Jesus. That's it. But I'm going to tell you something. Years ago, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that that was going to happen. How did I know? See, it's come full circle, right? It's come full circle. I fed into their lives when they were little. They grew up, and now they're going back and impacting another generation. They're going back and impacting their parents, but also their brothers and their sisters, and their sisters and brothers' kids. And one of their, uh, one of their dreams is to quit, is to stop the train of kids from that area to go begging in the streets in Port-au-Prince. 
That's the dream. That's the passion. And they're doing it. I'm telling you, they are making an impact. And it is so exciting to see. So now, you know, I'm having like a mountaintop experience, right? I'm just, I've been there. I've preached there. Uh, it, baptized people there. They're getting baptized like crazy. I mean, they, they, they're in love with Jesus. They love Jesus. I mean, Jesus is making a difference in this community. Can y'all understand me? You understand what I'm saying? Am I talking too fast? Okay, okay, good. But I want to talk to you a little bit about valleys. About valleys in your life. Because, guys, let's just be real. Let's be real. It's not all mountaintops. And the ministry is hard. The ministry is difficult, right? You're not appreciated. <laughs> How many pastors do we have in here? How many pastors? Yeah, raise your hand if you are a pastor. Okay. It's, it's, it's a difficult job. You pour in your heart out. You pour in your life out. And people... They like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> or they may stab you in the back sometimes. They talk about you over lunch. They gossip about you. It's not all cheery, is it? It's not all great and hallelujahs. It's hard. It's difficult sometimes. There are valleys that you go through. And let me tell you something. God doesn't always cause the valley, but he allows the valley. And the reason why he allows the valley is to test you to see what it is that you have on the inside of you to see if you are going to give up. And so he will arrange many different valleys for you to go through. Now, each time you conquer a valley, you become stronger. You become more solidified in your calling. But when you fail, how many of you went to school? When you flunked a test, what happened? You had to take it over again, right? <laughs> if you didn't pass, you had to take it over again. You had to take your grade over again. So if you flunk your valley, you flunk your test, get ready, you have to take it over again. One of the uh, best sermons my uh, pastor in Dallas ever gave was one called Take Another Lap. <laughs> you remember that? Uh, pastor uh, Dr. Rogers here, he and I, we go back 30 years We've known each other for a long time. I knew him before he got married. I know him. I know his wife. I've known them for a long time. And they are incredible men and women of God. Okay? But our pastor, he, he talked about the children of Israel after God delivered them from Egypt. And he split it and parted the Red Sea. And they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Hallelujah. They saw Pharaoh's and the chariots. They saw them drown in the sea after them. They saw water come from a rock. 
They were fed with manna from heaven. God would send them meat. He sent them quail when they were hungry for meat. Right? God did all of these miracles. Their shoes never wore out. What a miracle is that? But here's the deal. From Egypt to the promised land was 11-day journey. 11-day journey. But yet they were in the wilderness for 40 years trying to get to the promised land. Why? The Bible says they griped, they grumbled, and they complained. So what did God say? He said, take another lap. Take another lap around the mountain. They take another lap around the mountain. Did they learn their lesson? No. They griped, they grumbled, they complained. I don't like where I live. I don't like the leadership. I don't like this Moses. And what about his sister Miriam? Who does she think she is? Her and her tambourine. God said, take another lap. Take another lap around the mountain. You think they learned their lesson? No. Huh. What about Aaron? Did you see what he did? He built that golden calf. Who is he? He's not a leader. Take another lap. Take another lap around the mountain. Just take another lap. Remember, this was an 11-day journey. 11 days they could have been in their promised land. They could have been in their destiny. They could have been in their calling. 11 days, 40 years in the wilderness because they grumbled, they griped, and they complained. I don't like this manna. I like the garlics and the leeks that we had in Egypt. Take another lap. Well, I think we need to go back to Egypt. Obviously, Moses doesn't know where he's going. Take another lap. <laughs> Take another lap. I don't like it. I don't like the leadership. Who is Moses? Who is Aaron? We are all called by God. All of us are anointed by God. We are the priests of God. Take another lap. Korah and his company standing up trying to cause division and so many of the Israelites went with him. Take another lap. The ground opened up. Many of them fall into the ground. Ground closes back up. Did they learn their lesson? No. Take another lap. The angel of death comes. He's so, God's so angry at him and mad. He's going to wipe them out. The angel of death comes. All of you who are with Korah, go over there. If you're with Moses, come over here. People are scared to death. The angel of death coming. Aaron stood in front of the angel of death, interceding for the people who deserve to die. They deserve to die. But he said no. And God stayed his hand because a man, because a man stood in the gap. A man stood in the gap and said, no, Lord, don't wipe out your people. He said, okay, but they better take another lap. 
Well, they are not getting this lesson. They better keep taking another lap. God was so angry and upset with them, he wanted to wipe them out. He told Moses, I'll start all over with you, Moses. I'm going to wipe these people out, and I will start with you, and then from you will be the ancestry line. But Moses stood in the gap. He said, no, Lord, you can't do it. Every, all the nations fear the Lord. They fear these people because you are their Lord. What would it say to all the other nations? He said, okay, but they better take another lap. Forty years. They could not get it. They could not get it. Hear the word of the Lord. Quit taking another lap. Get it. You cannot gripe. You cannot complain. You cannot slander your brothers. You cannot disagree and divide and disagree and divide and cause division and think you are going to reach your promised land. Think that you are going to reach and be the church that God has called over the nation of Ghana or Nigeria or whatever country, America, whatever, when you are griping and you are complaining and you have something negative to say about everything and everybody. You better get in line. You better get behind your pastor. You better say, here am I. I'm reporting for duty. What can I do for you? And if you're a pastor trying to lead a people and they are griping and they are complaining, I say, teach this message. <laughs> Take another lap. <laughs> Take another lap. But I'm going to tell you something. You, if you're experiencing that in your church, you are in a valley and you are in a season of testing. What are you going to do when everybody is complaining about you? What are you going to do? When they're backbiting you, stabbing you in the back, shaking your hand, smiling, and then stabbing you in the back, what are you going to do? Are you going to give up? I give up. I can't deal with these people. I'm leaving the ministry. Are you going to give up on your calling? Are you going to give up on your destiny? Do you not realize that you are in a season that every minister of God goes through? Every single minister of God goes through it. Rejection. People hating you. People not recognizing you. They only recognize the other people, but they don't recognize you. They don't recognize your giftings, your talents, your abilities. Are you going to give up? Take another lap. <laughs> another valley you go through is the word valley. What do you do when you're in those low, low valley times? Do you pout? Do you cry? Do you just sit in front of the TV and veg out? <laughs> Forget about everything? Or do you get into the word of God? Do you dig into this word? Do you say, God, I got to have a word from you? Do you study the word? What are you going through? Get into the word of God. What does God say about you? 
What does God speak to you through this word? He'll tell you you're the head, you're not the tail. He'll tell you you're above, you're not beneath. He'll tell you you're the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. He draws you with loving kindness. You are the apple of his eye. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. You are more than an overcomer in Christ. That's what you'll learn when you get into the word. You're not what people say about you. You are what God says about you. It's God who defines you. It's God who gives you your identity. It's God who sets you free. People don't define you. Your actions define you. Your actions will define you. Are you a winner or are you a loser? Your actions define you. Are you going to dig in and get closer to God? Are you going to give up? Are you going to start talking back? Oh, well, they're not so great either. You know what that person did? They had an affair with you know who over there. You can start gossiping about people in your congregation. Take another lap. Take another lap. God don't play. It's not a game. <laughs> Brother, it is not a game. <laughs> then you have the time test. The time test. This can last anywhere from four to 15 years. <laughs> it can be the fullness of time. <laughs> but it's the time test. Things are not happening as fast as you want them to happen. Things are not coming together. Oh, and you get discouraged. You are fatigued. You are tired. I want it to happen now. Right now. Suddenly. How about a suddenly, God? But God is training you in that time test, in that valley. He is training you. He is training you to be patient. He is training you to wait on the timing of God. Because when you are at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people in the right way, you will get the right results from God. You will get it. But you have to take the time test. Several times. <laughs> Another one is the servant test. Oh, the servant test. Mama Pam talking about being a servant. Oh, are you going to be the top dog? Too cool for school? Everybody serve you. Everybody obey you. <laughs> is that who you are? That's not who Jesus is. I hate to tell you this. That's not who Jesus is. I'm just going to say that again. That's not who Jesus is. Pam already talked about this. Jesus, one of the last things he did on earth to be an example to his disciples was to get down on his knees and to wash the feet of his disciples. He humbled himself. 
The Bible says he humbled himself when he came to this earth and he took on the guise of a servant. He left glory in heaven, being the king of kings in heaven, and humbled himself. And then he continued to humble himself even further and he died on a cross, which is what criminals died on. He was stripped naked and died, was crucified and hung on a tree, which cursed is every man who hangeth on a tree. That's what the Bible says. He took your cursing. He took your sins. He took your pain, your infirmities, your sickness, your diseases. He took it all. He took all of it. He took it for you. He didn't say, here, you come carry, carry my burdens. He took your burdens. This is the message you should preach to your people. This is the example you should give to your people. It's not, it's not the popular thing, is it? It's not. But y'all, it's the godly thing. It's the humility thing. And when you humble yourself, God will lift you up. But when you want to exalt yourself, God will bring you down. The servant test. Where's your heart? Are you going to serve God? Are you going to do what he asks you to do? And then we have the discouragement test. Nothing is working out. People discourage you. You may even discourage yourself. Maybe you are not acting the way you want to act. You are discouraged. Again, people may not be recognizing you. You're discouraged. What are you going to do in that discouragement? And I'm going to tell you something. God will allow you to be knocked to the mat. God will allow you just to be <laughs> knocked down. Just to see what you're going to do. Just to see what you're going to do. Are you going to get back up or are you going to stay down? Throw in the towel. I'm done. I'm finished. You're going to stay down. You're going to get up. What are you going to do? Are y'all relating to this? Are some of you recognizing a valley that you are in? Then we have the character test. Whoa. Oh, let's just keep going there. The character test. Oh, my God. We kind of talked about that a little bit, the ethical. Are you an ethical business person, an ethical pastor? There's no such thing. There's just an ethical person. You're either ethical in everything you do or you're not. Okay? The character test. You will be presented with opportunities. Brother Ben was talking about one. Somebody coming, trying to get him to do something under the table. You will be presented with opportunities, guy, that will test your character. <laughs> what you going to do? Are you going to give in? 
Or are you going to say, yeah, I can make a little money off of that. That sounds like a good idea. Or that person's so dumb, I can take advantage of them. Easy. They're an easy target. I'll act like I'm helping them, and I'll be making money off of them. The character test. Many times the character test, you know, you have that temptation test too, right? Yeah, and a lot of temptation is in a sexual sense. What you going to do? That pretty little thing comes walking across your path. Batting her eyes. What you going to do? You going to reason it out? I tell you, uh, a testimony. <laughs> well, I guess it's a testimony. <laughs> I'll get vulnerable and real with you. Y'all want me to get real with you? So uh, I used to be, uh, many, many years ago, I was in a, a theater company, a traveling where we did plays. It was a Christian company. And as we were about to go on stage one night, somebody came up behind me and kind of pressed themselves against me. And I'm like, what? It is pitch black. You cannot even see your hand like this. And then, you know, we went on stage. The next day, I'm driving in my car, and I'm thinking about that. Hmm. I start thinking about it. I'm going to be honest with you. Hmm. I could do this. I could secretly do this and get away with it. I start thinking about it. You you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, thank God. <laughs> so I am, I, I am thinking about it. How can I do this? Yeah, I can sin and get away with it. Yeah. All of a sudden, it was like, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. I got to my job. I got on the telephone. I called my friend, my best friend. I said, look, I need to talk to you. Something happened to me today, and I just, I need, I need to talk to y'all. She said, well, come have dinner with us tonight. Okay, hung up the phone. I go to dinner. I'm sitting down with my friend and her husband. Awkward. We're eating. And so they just keep looking at me, wondering what it is I want to talk about. <laughs> And so finally we finished eating and I said, okay, this is what happened to me today. I told them the story. I'm driving, I'm getting these thoughts, and I catch myself thinking about sinning. And I just felt like I needed to say something. I need to get it out in the open, expose it. Don't keep it secret. Expose it to a trusted, trusted trusted friend, okay? And so they said, okay, let us pray for you. So we bowed our heads and they prayed, Lord, help Lauren, blah, you know. Said a very nice prayer. We said amen. And I sat there and I knew that thing was still on the inside of me. But they prayed for me. I exposed it. I got it out in the open. 
But I knew it needed to be dealt with. So I said, guys, would y'all mind if I just prayed over myself for a moment? They said, go for it. I stood up and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command this spirit of seduction. I command this sin that is trying to come upon me. I say, get out of my life. You have no place in me. You, ha you don't have anything. There's nothing in me that belongs to you. You have no power over me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I will not entertain you. I will not fantasize. I cast it down in the name of Jesus. I declare that I am the Lord Jesus Christ and him and him only will I serve. In Jesus' name. And it was gone. Guys, you got to get real. You got to get real with the devil. You got to tell him who you are because I guarantee you there is sexual sin knocking at your door. And if it's not knocking at your door right now, it was knocking at your door before and or it will be knocking at your door in the future. Do you understand me? Who are you? Whose are you? Do you belong to God? I'm going to say, if you belong to God, you better declare that you belong to God. You better declare to the devil that you belong to God. You better tell yourself that you belong to God. And him and him only will you serve. You do not serve your flesh. You are not a toy. You are not something to be messed around with. You are men and you are women of God. You are called, you are holy, you are anointed, and you are appointed by God himself. You do not play. Do not play Christianity. It is not a game. The devil will try everything in his power to take you out. How many men and women of God have left the ministry because of sexual sin? How many TV ministries have been brought down because of sexual sin? It's not a game. You can't play. You don't flirt. Don't flirt. Don't even flirt. You don't ever give off any type of, of sense that you are available in any way. You think somebody's flirting with you? You just start talking about your spouse. Be an example. Be an example, guys. And girls, be an example. It's not a game. And it is a valley and it is a test that you will go through. Are you going to pass it? I'm not here condemning anyone. If you have failed, repent. Don't play. Don't keep playing. Don't do the blame game. Who was talking about the blame game? What the Lord showed me, when you're doing the blame game, who's the cross for? If you fall into sin and you blame somebody else, but you need forgiveness, who's the cross for? 
The person denying they, it wasn't their fault? Not my fault. Really? You just dismantled the cross. You need the cross. It's not a game. It's a valley. It's a test. You got to come out on top. If you've blown it, repent. Own it. If you've blown it, own it. <laughs> and then get back on track with God. Get back on track. This isn't about condemnation. This is about revelation. This is about you becoming whole and healed and restored so that you can reach your destiny. That's what it's about. You reaching your calling. You reaching your destiny. not a game another test the motivation test <laughs> are you going to stay motivated when the music quits playing <laughs> the bumps go away you all alone you're tired you're fatigued are you going to keep going? Are you going to keep studying? Are you going to keep reading the word? When nobody's calling you on the phone asking you to come preach? <laughs> You're going to stay motivated. God uses this to weed out people to see who's really serious about him. You've got to stay motivated to follow him with all of your heart. Is your heart going to stay pure? Is your heart going to stay pure when you don't have something coming up? <laughs> You're going to take a break. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, when you're in the military, right? You're in the military and they have special forces. And not everybody passes, do they? I mean, the special forces are serious. And only the best of the best of the best make it. That's what that motivation test is. You weed out the weaklings. Now, you can still stay in the body of Christ. You could be a Christian. But only the best of the best of the best is going to enter into that next level of calling and destiny in their life. Everybody's, you know, has a general calling to be saved. But as you continue on and you trust the Lord and you study and you stay faithful, then God will bring you into a specific destiny over your life and a specific calling. And then if you continue and you continue pressing in further and further and further into God, he'll make that specific calling a particular calling. Like Paul. Paul was called to the Gentiles. Peter was called to the Jews. Anyway, but the only way to find out your true calling and to go all the way is if you stay close to God, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. 
And boy, new doors will open up, new doors will open up, new doors will open up. I won't go through all of these tests, but there's a lot of them. I will do this one, though, the wilderness test. Everything dries up. I'll I'll throw this one in there, too. It's really the loneliness test. When I first moved to Haiti, I, I got there, and three weeks after I got there, the war broke out. Dr. Mitchell called me on the phone. Pastor Kennedy called me on the phone. People who sent me to Haiti. It was really God that sent me to Haiti. Thank God. (laughs) Because I was able to give them this answer. But when the war broke out, they said, you coming home? I was there three weeks. I just sold everything. (laughs) I just got rid of everything and moved to Haiti. They said, you coming home? I said, no, God told me to come. He didn't tell me to go. Coup d'etat taking place. It was intense. It was unbelievable. I was not used to that where I came from. (laughs) I came from a very small town. Everything's calm. (laughs) Calm and peaceful. I wound up in a coup d'etat in Haiti. And it it was intense and crazy. And I was so lonely. I thought I was going to die. I was so lonely, guys. It was, you could feel it. It was so thick. And I remember I took a, a, later when I had some time off and I went to America for a couple of weeks and I thought about coming back and there are no words to describe the, uh, to go back and face the loneliness. But if you can catch hold of this, it'll be awesome. Instead of hating it, instead of resisting it, instead of just pushing it away and just hating it, I decided to embrace it. I embraced the loneliness. And I embraced God in the middle of the loneliness. And all of a sudden, I had grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to handle this season in my life when I quit hating it and I embraced it. And now, I have no problem hardly with it. I like being alone. (laughs) I enjoy it. Because I was a people, people, people person. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. There's the patience test, the misunderstanding test, the frustration test, the warfare test, the self-will test. You're going to do your will, you're going to do God's will. The vision test, the obedience test, the promotion test. Oh, I'll end it with the promotion test. You get promoted. You are there. You're where you want to be for right now. You've arrived. Are you going to get proud and arrogant? Are you going to stay humble before Jesus? That's one of the biggest tests right there. You get a little promotion in your life. Have you seen that? I mean, I don't know if y'all have PTA at school, parent-teacher association. 
parents get involved and help out in the school? You give somebody just a little bit of a responsibility and suddenly they think they are the queen and they can tell other parents what to do. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that, right? You give somebody a little bit of responsibility and it goes to their head and inflates their ego. The promotion test, stay humble. Stay humble before God. I know we have another speaker, but I want to pray for those who are discouraged. If you are discouraged, if you are a place in your life where you are discouraged, just raise your hand. Things are not happening like you want them to happen. You are just discouraged. Okay. If you're sitting around somebody with their hand raised, Reach over and lay your hands on them right now. Just reach over and lay your hands on somebody with their, with their hand raised, okay? Because, y'all, we need the body. We need the body. We need each other. We need each other. We have got to get unified together and pray for one another and not tear each other down. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak into the lives of my brothers and my sisters, God. Those who have been beaten down, those who have been bruised, those who are carrying wounds on the inside of them, some of them even gaping big wounds on the inside of them. And, Lord, I am asking you right now to pour in the oil and the wine. I am asking you to bring healing to the bruising in Jesus' name. And in every way that the enemy has tried to use discouragement to take them out, we rebuke that right now in the name of Jesus. We command it off of them right now in the name of Jesus. And right now, everybody here who is going through any valley, any test, we just lift that up before the Lord right now in Jesus' name. And I speak to you, and I say you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You grab hold of God. You can do it. You do not have to give in. Don't give in. Don't give out. And don't give up. In the name of Jesus. Do not yield to the temptation. Do not yield to the valley. Embrace this season. Embrace this test. Embrace God in the middle of the test. And you will be a, vict a victor. And you will reach your destiny and you will reach your calling. But listen to me. Do not give up. Don't give up. Everybody say, don't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't give up. Amen. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> All right.